Shalom mishpocha. Shalom family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. <laughs> We're the mishpocha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people. We're the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man, one new species of being, which is going to house the full presence of God for the greatest end-time revival the world has ever seen. And I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. Uh, I have on the telephone the senior leader from Bethel Church, Bill Johnson. And uh, Bill, there is something that marks you. And I believe there are two things that have done it. The first that has done it, and sometimes it marks someone in a bad way, is how many generations? Is it five generations of full gospel preachers and pastors? Yeah, I'm a fifth generation pastor. My children are all in the ministry as well, so they're sixth generation. That is what a wonderful heritage. Yeah. I mean, that is that that alone is miraculous to me. I mean, I didn't even know who Jesus was till I was almost 30 uh, in Christian America, of all places. Uh, but uh, I want to take you back to a night that you had electricity go through your whole body. When was that? Um, October of 1995. And, and uh, take, take me, give me a little bit of the history of that. Well, we had been, uh, I had been uh, really encouraged and inspired in the subject of revival in the outpouring of the Spirit. I had gone to Toronto and was touched there. I had come home. We were just hungry for something fresh from the Lord. I, I brought in a friend named Dick Joyce that was uh, ministering. He's a great prophet of God and was ministering at the church, and that evening um, when we were praying for people, I, I told a friend of mine that God was going to touch him, and it could be in the middle of the night at 3 in the morning, could be in the middle of the day. When I got home, it was very late at night, got to sleep. I woke up suddenly at 3 a.m. exactly with that prophecy that I had given to a friend of mine, that prophecy immediately in mind. I looked at the clock. It was 3 a.m. exactly, and I said, I said out loud, I said, you set me up. I, I felt like the Lord was he had had me encourage somebody else with something that was actually my portion, and uh, and He just began to visit me in power. I don't know any other way to describe it except to describe it as electricity going through my entire. Well, well, and, and, and let me ask you something. You said you went to Toronto when the revival hit. Uh, what you're about to describe? Did you have the same thing happen to you at Toronto? No. No, I didn't. I didn't have anything noticeable happen to me in Toronto, except I felt the presence of the Lord. I encountered His peace. There was a lot of uh, just deep heart stuff that was wonderful. Just my affections for Him were strong and and vibrant and that sort of thing. But no, there was no experience. Okay, let's take you back to three in the morning. You prophesied something over a friend. It started happening to you. Uh, describe. Well, it's 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 almost. I was I was actually embarrassed. I felt my face turn red, and the reason I I had no control of my limbs. They shot out with electricity, like a thousand volts of electricity. I couldn't I, I couldn't control my arms. If I 
if I clenched my fists, I would try to get control, then my legs would become more violent. Now, now that's interesting, Bill, because I have had this happen to me. But I've, for me, I've had control. What I do is I yield to the Spirit of God doing this. But I've always felt I could stop it if I wanted to, but I never wanted to. Are you telling me you tried to stop? Yeah, I, I didn't know what was happening at first. You know, to be honest with you, in the first few moments, I didn't know what was happening. And I, I tried to regain uh, control of my body because it's not normal to have no, to have no control. I couldn't control <laughs> it. I, I would fight it not knowing I was fighting the Lord. And I would try to get control. And then I, I realized... Uh, through the, Excuse me, was your wife there when this was happening? She was sleeping, and it was a miracle she stayed asleep. I think so. <laughs> it really was. Interestingly, a couple of days later, it spread to her as well. But, but um, uh, it, it was it was just a it was a a violent, in a sense, uh, encounter. And uh, and the Lord, He paraded certain pictures in front of my mind. It reminded me of Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, uh, the mother of the illegitimate child. It reminded me of Jacob wrestling with an angel, limp for the rest of his life. It reminded me of these scenes in Scripture where an encounter changed everything. And while it was highly favored from heaven's perspective, not always from earth's perspective, and I felt embarrassed for what I was experiencing. And I... I I then, uh, there was a picture that flashed in front of me that I saw me trying to teach in front of the church that I pastored, realizing there's there's not anybody in the room that's going to believe this is God. This is so uh, embarrassing, so um, unusual that I didn't think anybody would believe it was the Lord. And then the next scene, I saw myself standing in front of my favorite restaurant in town and I realized that the city is going to laugh at me as well. And there was a, it was a decision. The, the Lord, I had been praying for months, and I literally had been praying this day and night. I would wake up in the middle of the night praying this, God, I want more of you at any cost. I will pay any price. And so when he paraded these scenes in front of me, he was basically asking me, did you mean it when you said at any price? Because the way it looked is it looked like I, I either will be a laughing stock in front of the church or the city, or I won't be able to get out of bed. The rest of my life, I won't be able to function uh, as a result of this divine touch. And I, I, I laid there uh, weeping for uh, probably 20 minutes. And after about 20 minutes or so, with tears streaming down on my, my pillowcase, um, I said, "Yes." I said, "I'll take it. I'll take. I, I want. I want more of you. You can do anything you want with me. You can make me look any way you want." It doesn't matter to me as long as I get you in the exchange. Now, just out of curiosity, and you probably can't answer this question, but (laughs) it's crossed my mind. If you had said, no, I want my dignity, do you think you would have lost what you have today? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. He doesn't take you to moments of decisions that aren't necessary. You know, I'm not saying he wouldn't have used me. He wouldn't have done something in and through my life, but we we often are the ones that set the limits. Okay. Did he say anything else to you at that moment? That was it. He just he wanted me to lay down my my dignity, my fear of man, which, you know, if you ask anyone who knew me in that period of time, all my closest friends would have said the fear of man was not an issue for me. But the Lord saw beyond what everybody else could see, and he could see that I... I I could be prone to making decisions based on what other people thought. 
and I had to come to that place to go where he wanted to take me. I had to be able to respond to him, still maintain love, honor, respect for people, but respond to him without uh, being crippled by the fear of man. And that's what he was after. Now, out of curiosity, why did he choose you? Oh, I have no idea. I know you don't, but I thought I had to ask you anyway. It's called just his choice. That's all it's involved. Exactly. You know, um, I I am a fifth-generation pastor, which is the real positive, the wonderful thing. I had a great upbringing. But I'm the guy that took an F in school on oral exam because I didn't want to speak out loud in front of people. <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy that read one book in my all till I was 18 years old. I read it in eighth grade. I avoided reading. I hated study. I, I wasn't good at any of the things that are necessary for what I'm doing. So when the, when the Lord chose me, he was doing what he often does. He chooses because of weakness. And uh, and that way he gets the credit for what he does. So I, I do believe that's at the heart and soul of, of what he did. Okay, what time did the shaking, if you will, the electricity going through your body stop? Uh, 6.38. Okay, at 6.39, did you just stay in bed and process, or did you jump out of bed, or did you tell your wife what happened? <laughs> no, I got up. I, I got up immediately. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell I didn't tell anyone. The next night, it started the moment I got in bed, and the third night, the third night, it hit me and my wife together. And uh, it, it, by that time, of course, she knew what was going on, but I didn't tell anyone. I was, I was, I was processing. I, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> it was, it was a great, great mystery to me. Now I have hindsight. I can say, well, he was dealing with fear of man. He was dealing with you know, dignity, these issues. At the time, I was bewildered. I'll tell you what, uh, we're running out of time right now, but on tomorrow's broadcast, I want to find out uh, the first time you lost your dignity after this event. But before that, uh, I have to believe one of the most significant things that God has taught you all these years is how to host his presence. And uh, this was a process in which he taught you how. And I asked you before we went on the air, why for your workbook and your two DVDs and your uh, uh, book, why did you call it hosting the presence? Why didn't you call it welcoming the presence? Why hosting? Well, if you have a special guest come to your home, you want to host them. You do extra things. You make sure that you have your nicest tableware. You have, you know, the tablecloth. You have the special meal. You're doing everything to honor the guest. And I realize that the Holy Spirit is a permanent resident in me, but I also like to live with that sense of honor and celebration of this one that I get to host. I get to, I get to truly get to welcome him, but I'm hosting him. I'm, I'm turning the affection, the my whole value system to just uh, valuing and celebrating the fact that God is with me. But he's not just in me, which I'm grateful for, but he rests upon me. And when he rests upon me, it changes everything around me. How important is it for you to be aware of this and for those that are listening to be able to uh, participate with the Holy Spirit and, and have his presence and know how his presence can increase in their life? Oh, it's, it's extremely vital. You know, any we we know that any of us that become obsessed with a problem, we become 
uh, fearful, we become anxious, we we communicate that non-verbally. We carry the environment of fear and anxiety with us wherever we go. We can walk into a room and make everybody tense. Well, turn you know, make that uh, turn that around, uh, flip it around, and you know that the person who lives conscious of the Holy Spirit actually carries a presence into a room, and the atmosphere changes instantly. Whoops, we're out of time. I want you to get this equipping course, uh, and it is a course. It's a marvelous workbook of 187 pages. Uh, It's got the book, and it's got two DVDs with eight lessons, and I want you to learn how to host the Holy Spirit. If you don't do it now, if you don't host the presence of God now with everything going on in this world, well, the entire series is available for a gift of $59. If you bought this piecemeal, it would cost you $99. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. One night, the electricity of God... Bill Johnson, did it hurt, this electricity of God? I know if lightning hit you, that would hurt. <laughs> it it wasn't painful, but also was not pleasant. It was very, very uncomfortable. Um, it was it was gratifying in the sense that I lived so aware of God being in the room, but physically, you know, it was not a pleasant experience uh, of what, what I felt physically. So this happened three nights in a row from about 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. The third night, if I understand you right, uh, that same presence of God went on your wife. Yeah, yeah. And now, did she deal with it better than you? Um I I don't know the process she went through on the inside. Um, I I think it was more of a, a, just an unusual encounter with the Lord. I don't know that he had to hunt for the same thing in her heart that he had to find in mine. And repeat for those that didn't listen yesterday, what did he basically say to you? The Lord was looking for me to give up my right for dignity, that he wanted the right to be able to use me in any way he wanted, even if I looked foolish, even if I if I didn't come across as being dignified or respectful. And giving up the right for that uh, is sometimes important in the ministry of the gospel. Well, you did finally say you counted the cost, as it says in the Bible, and you said yes to the Lord. Uh, Tell me the first time you lost your dignity. (laughs) Well, it it actually, it, it, it was a season of time where the visitation of the Lord came and just came in ways that we didn't expect. We didn't know what to do. And uh, and it was the Lord dealing with me, but because I had said yes in the secret place, he trusted me to lead some of those meetings in a public place. And um, and so we would, uh, we the Holy Spirit would come in great power. We didn't always know what was happening. We would examine the fruit afterwards. We'd find out a marriage was healed or somebody's body was healed or some person came to Christ or something, but it, it didn't always look logical at the time. And uh, and so it was something that happened to me publicly, but it also happened to most everybody else in the room. So it, it, was, a, it was a process, and it was a season. It was a season of many years where, uh, where I was required because of that, that yes that I made to the Lord. I was required to live with a certain amount of risk to see uh, what the Lord wanted to do in a given setting. 
did you ever get used to that, that, that risk? Because that doesn't sound like the type of person you were. No, no, I, I've, I've never, I still have to live with the risk. I have to push into it in a, in a sense for the, for the miracles and the healings that we see happen. It's certainly easier today than it was, you know, 15, 16 years ago, 17 years ago, but I still have to intentionally push into it, realizing that, that I don't know what's about to happen. Um, I, I'm pushing into the unknown, only knowing that God is good and that he will do something significant. And, uh, and so I, I don't get paranoid, but I, I really want to make sure that I hear correctly because I, I know that oftentimes breakthrough is connected to our uh, deliberate and accurate obedience. Okay. You, you've been at this. How many years uh, has it been since this encou- power encounter? Since that encounter uh, would be 1995. So it's 18 years. Okay. What? Tell tell me some secrets that you have learned in that period of time that you wish you had known at day one. Although if you had known it, you might not have said yes. (laughs) (laughs) The the secrets uh, have to do in two areas. One is the nature of God, and the other is how he uses us. So the first one would be, the thing that I wished I would have known, you know, 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago when I first started, I wished I would have known how good God was. Just discovering the absolute perfect goodness of God has has been the greatest delight of my life. That goodness doesn't translate into tolerating sin. Uh, people misunderstand that, and that's not accurate, but he is so incredibly kind, so merciful. I wish I would have known that because all of the healing— all of the prophetic, all of the things that we experience really flow out of that goodness. His heart of great, great love and compassion and affection for people. I wished I would have known that better at the beginning. Most people judge God by their earthly father, and that's almost— it's true. Uh, th- that, that's a wrong thing to do, because how can you judge a human against pure love? <laughs> yeah, no, that you're right, you're right, and that's— that's messed a lot of people up because they've not had good homes. I had a great home, and I still struggled with it. So I can only imagine what people, you know, deal with that were raised in an abusive or, you know, less than kind household. So it's it's just one thing that I wished I would have known earlier than I did. The second is I had this notion that you had to be a special person for God to use you. You know, I grew up, my family had sat under Wigglesworth's ministry and my uncle was a soloist for Amy Simple McPherson. So we have a lot of... Good- you, you are, you know, I'm Jewish, and the Bible says the Gentile believers to provoke the Jew to jealousy, but you're sure doing it now. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I, I grew up hearing those stories, so that put an appetite in me, which is really good. But I caught a message that nobody was telling me, but somehow I caught it. That was that you had to be a special person. You know, Wigglesworth was unusually gifted in faith. Catherine Kuhlman had an unusual sense of God's presence, and, and I just never qualified. And, uh, and so I would dismiss this urge to see the authentic gospel displayed with purity and power, but it kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back. Till 1987, I went to a John Wimber conference, and I saw uh, them model, demonstrate, and teach how everyone, everyone can do this. And it changed my life, and I'm I'm forever indebted to— But, Bill, wait a second now. <laughs> I, you told me about that 
a power encounter where electricity yeah. came over your body three nights in a row for three hours. So you were a special person. How can you say that person listening to me can do what you can do? Um, well, first of all, okay, it started in 1987. It started before 95, and it started when I was pastoring a small, tiny little church up in the mountains. I didn't have any kind of experience or reputation or anything. I just went to a conference where I saw John Wimber and his team, the Vineyard Movement. I saw them model how every person can do this, and they did it in a way that fit my life. I, you know, I, it was hard for me to ever imagine me being in a large crusade preaching to tens of thousands of people, but I knew I could talk one-on-one -on -one and pray for someone, and they modeled that for me, and it, it set me up, and that's when the miracle started. It was 1987. The explosion came in 95, but I, that wasn't something I knew would ever happen. But I, I cried out for more, knowing I had tasted enough to be ruined forever. I really wanted... A, a greater and a more significant breakthrough. So that was my heart's cry, you know, and that's, that's, that's how and when the Lord really, really visited me was then. You know, I hear this often, a, for lack of better words, such a desperation for more of God. Um, and I've heard this from many people that have had wonderful ministries. Um, but if I'm understanding you right, whether someone has that supernatural desperation or not, when they understand it, they can go for God desperately and end up with the same things that you and the people out at your school get. Yeah, I, I believe that. I do. I, God is moved by hunger. And uh, people that are hungry, you know, people, I, let me say this. I've seen people that get really hungry, but they end up in unbelief because their hunger is a striving it's not anchored in the goodness of God. It's not anchored in promises. It's just, it's anchored in an ideal that they never reach. I've seen others that become very hungry, but they know that God is good. And they're, they're seeking for this wonderful Father to touch them more deeply and profoundly. What, what hurts people is when they try to have somebody else's experience. I think it's legitimate for us to pursue outcome, but not experience. Tell me about the time. Uh, that you just were shaking hands with people and someone had a migraine for 10 years. Yeah, well, this, that kind of thing has happened a number of times, but uh, I was standing at the back door of the church and just greeting people. I, I'm kind of a feely, touchy. I'm very affectionate physically, so when somebody walks by, I'll grab their shoulder, pat them on the back or something, as well as shake their hand. And, and I, just, I just was doing that to people, talking to them briefly as they walked by. And this lady comes back to me two weeks later. She says, when you, when you put your hand on my shoulder greeting me uh, two weeks ago, 10 years of migraines ended as soon as you touched me. So that, that is what we carry uh, that we need to become conscious of. I, we, and yet I've been at a meeting where you don't touch anyone. Uh, you just speak and people all over the auditorium get healed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that happens. I, I, we've seen them healed by walking past them, the shadow healing. We've seen them touch clothing, get healed. We've seen them uh, sometimes just calling out a word of knowledge of a condition. They'll be healed. Uh, we just had one happen in England where I was calling out a word of knowledge for hearing, uh, hearing loss. And the second half of the word hearing was amplified. The person just heard a muffled hear, 
and then ring was amplified. Mm-hmm. And their, they were actually, their ear was open in the middle of the word. And uh, so we, we have all kinds of unusual things happening. But uh, What is your, uh, obviously, someone coming to the Lord as a result of miracles, there's no close second. But from a physical healing viewpoint, what's the favorite healing that you've witnessed under your ministry? Oh, goodness, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, what I've been seeing lately that fascinates me so much is we have so much head trauma being healed. Um, I, I, I don't have a favorite. I just have, uh, uh, we've had over 60 people bipolar healed. Only four of them mm. prayed for, the rest have been healed, either from hearing a testimony or from being in the room where the anointing of God is there and it's just healing people. We've had, we had a gal with uh, terminal systemic lupus of the brain. Uh, she was dying. She had a, a blow to her head some years earlier. And, uh, and she, was, she was just completely, totally healed um, by the Lord in a meeting. Her, the next day, her mother looked at her when she got up in the morning and said her facial features were the same as they were before the accident. She had been completely, dramatically healed. A man who had worms planted, uh, built nests in his brain. He had ate some bad food, and uh, and it was killing him. They were able to uh, do radiation or something to kill the worms in the brain, but they couldn't get rid of the nesting. He was in uh, unbelievable pain. He walked into the meeting like a zombie, heavily, heavily drugged, could not communicate well, and uh, prayed for within three days. He was completely normal. Um, All kinds of, uh, from amnesia, total amnesia, partial amnesia, um, uh, dyslexia. I love to see people healed of, of brain disorders um, uh, where they, they can't read, they can't write, they can't uh, read a map, they can't function normally uh, because their brain just doesn't function right. That's been what's happening of late. So it changes uh, as far as an emphasis with you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I think what it is, is I, I don't want to just I don't want to just see one kind of miracle. Uh, for example, in the charismatic renewal, a lot of people were playing for, praying for legs to grow out. Well, I, I think that's very legitimate, but I don't want to stop there and say, I have a leg-growing ministry. I want to see what else he'll do. All right, but, but wait a second. Let's suppose—I'm I'm going to use this as an example, because in the charismatic movement where I, I became a believer, that was very popular. People like Derek Prince uh, used to pray for someone with one leg shorter than the other, and we would all watch the leg grow out. Uh, I mean, it was amazing. Someone with a built-up shoe would not need his built-up shoe. But most stopped at that point. How do you go beyond your your ceiling, so to speak? Well, you you have to find out what he's willing to do. See, he said, pursue earnestly spiritual gifts. There has to be a pursuit on our end of the equation. And so what I'll do is if I sense God healing, for example, uh, somebody's leg, oh, then I'll find out what else he wants to do. Maybe it's missing cartilage in the knee. Maybe it's a broken bone that didn't heal correctly. Maybe it's metal. Maybe it's a metal rod in the leg. We had uh, one guy missing two inches of bone in his leg at a, uh, because of a motorcycle accident, and the Lord did grow it out. Uh, we've had people with metal uh, rods that can't bend uh, full length of their spine. They can't bend. They can't twist and turn. After prayer, they have all movement restored to them. And uh, so these things are becoming more and more common. To me, it's, it's, I have to operate out of what I've seen God do, and I have to hold that standard. But I also need to push into what else he might be willing to do. And so I look for things I've never seen before. I look for 
conditions I've never prayed for. You know, if somebody's hurting. So, so in other words, like uh, someone that has never prayed for a deaf person, to be quite candid with you, uh, the first time that I prayed for a deaf person, I didn't want to do it. I, I knew they weren't going to get healed, and I was right. <laughs> they weren't healed. Uh, but are you telling me that living on the edge is looking for what God's never done through you before and going for it? Yeah, absolutely. We had one, a policeman in our church went with me down to Mexico a few years ago uh, to do some meetings, and he had never prayed for anyone before. And he came along. A blind lady came up to me, asked for prayer. I prayed for her. Nothing happened. She still wanted to see, so she moved down the line. She ended up having this policeman pray for her, and her eyes opened up. The first miracle he ever saw was God opening blind eyes. And the crazy thing is, before the week was over, he had prayed for five blind people that all their eyes opened, every one of them. And that's more than I've I've seen in my whole life. And he, he had it his first time out. So, you know, I, I think the Lord just looks for courageous people. He just looks for people that love to take risks based on his goodness. Okay, we are making available your your latest course, and it really is a course because it's, it's a textbook, it's a workbook of 187 pages, two DVDs, eight sessions, uh, and it's called Hosting the Presence. For those that haven't heard you uh, earlier in the week, explain what Hosting the Presence means. Well, anytime, if, if we would have, uh, you know, a, a highly favored person in the community come to our house for a meal, we would cook a special meal. We do all kinds of things just to honor that person that we are hosting in our home. Well, we have the most precious treasure in the universe and the Holy Spirit residing in us. I want to host him. I want to treat him with the same respect and affection and honor. And when you do that, you learn that the Holy Spirit then cannot just live inside of you, but he also wants to rest upon you. And for me, hosting the presence means I live with an affection and a consciousness of the presence of God upon me. And that awareness is bigger than any problem I face. Are you indicating that you live with that consciousness and that awareness uh, 24-7? Is that what you're saying? I don't succeed at that, no. But I, I certainly do it better now than I used to, you know. I mean, that's that's what my life is about. So that's what I... I really work to maintain that, not as a works thing, just he's a person. He's a wonderful, wonderful uh, person who loves us, is filled with such joy and affection that the more I live aware of him, the the less I am intimidated by any problem that, that I face, whether it's personal or national or international. Now, how did you first find out about this? Um, my dad uh, began back in the early 70s to teach us about worship and the privilege of ministering to him. And you you can't be a worshiper and not encounter the presence. And learning how to maintain that has been kind of a lifelong ambition for me, is to learn how to live aware of that presence that I felt in a worship service. For, For me, the normal Christian life should be that we become as aware of the presence of the Lord in the marketplace as we are in the church setting. All right. If you are aware, if you're in the market, you're at a restaurant and you are totally aware of God's presence in you, on you, all around you, people you touch, what difference does it make to you? What do you do knowing God's with you? Well, there's automatic uh, courage. You automatically have courage. You, you can't look 
at a problem or a challenge the same way when you realize that the Almighty God is with you. So there's that sense of courage. There's also, when you're aware of Him, you become aware of His heart and His His compassion, His affection for people starts to override uh, your biases that you might have towards this kind of person or that kind of person. So there's the affection thing, the compassion. You you start to get moved for people. You look around the room and you just become aware of the needs of people, and it just it's 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 very important to feel the heart of God for people. So. I think it's both those things, courage and affection. But you had an experience with the Lord that even magnified this understanding. Tell me about that. I I just had this encounter with the Lord in the middle of the night where he spoke to me, actually woke me up by speaking. And he said, I just woke up suddenly and he said, he watches over the watch of those who watch the Lord. And what does that mean? I, well, you know what a watchman is. A watchman right. sits on a tower, and he looks over an area to give warning of uh, enemies coming or to notify that friends are coming. And uh, as a dad or a pastor or a husband, I'm a watchman. I'm a watchman over my family, over the church, over my city. And this statement he made says that he himself, God, watches over my watch if I turn my watch towards him. So in other words, instead of me trying to be everything for everybody, just turning my attention on the presence of the Lord in my life, he ends up taking care of the stuff that I would normally be concerned about. I think it's another way of putting uh, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. I, I think it's, it's a, it was a directive of priorities that if I would prior to prioritize the presence, he would take care of the things that concern me. And you know, Bill, what you're talking about was a book was written by a monk a long time ago. I don't recall how long ago. Uh, his name was uh, Brother Lawrence. And uh, Brother Lawrence wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. But something bothered me about the book, Bill. Well, it provoked me to jealousy. I mean, he's a dishwasher, and people of high places in authority want to be, they want to hang around him as a dishwasher. He knew how to practice the presence of God. But you know what? When I read the book, I didn't know how to implement what he was doing. I wanted to, but I didn't know how. You've learned how. Can you teach a little bit about, you call it hosting the presence of God? Sure. Sure. I, I think um, um, uh, most of what I've learned, I've learned uh, out of the worship experience, uh, just turning my affection towards the Lord, ministering to Him, not just uh, giving thanksgiving praise, not just uh, being involved in the musical expression, but actually attending to Him. And in that encounter, you, you start discovering, I don't know, I don't have better language in this, forgive me, but you start encountering like the flavors, the the nature, the attitude, the heart, the mood of the Holy Spirit. And the more you become uh, aware of those things, the more you become impacted by how you think, how you live, uh, how you view a problem, how, how you uh, just navigate through life. And uh, so for me, what I, what I have found is I the, the biggest thing to ignite this lesson in me is turning my affection towards the Holy Spirit. 
I, I even do this uh, like when I go to bed at night. Um, I, when I lay down to go to sleep, I'm not there to pray. I'm not there to sing worship songs. I'm there to go to sleep. But I turn the affection of my heart towards the Holy Spirit, and he, he is such a lover of people that he immediately begins to manifest. And but, but that would be a problem for me, because if he manifested, I wouldn't be able to sleep. Well, th- it, that's that's true and not true. If he manifests, you know, like I talked uh, a few days ago about the electrical encounter. That, I, I'll take that, too, but go ahead. It's <laughs> true, but, but there, when he comes in deep, deep affection and rest, you're, you sleep as a result of the encounter. And I think people would have better days if they had better nights. And the night, uh, the day begins at night. And when we commit our night to the Lord, and we literally go to sleep with that embrace, my affection for God and his affection for me, it sets me up to have deep, deep, profound rest. So that's that's really where it starts for me. If I wake up in the night, once again, I'll turn my affection towards the Lord, not to pray, not to dialogue, not to sing, but just to encounter and in that encounter, uh, drift off to sleep. Hmm. I, I guess what I'm going to do tonight, Bill, <laughs> you sparked something in me there. Out of curiosity, are you one of these people that gets prophetic dreams? I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. I don't, not every night, certainly, but, you know, fairly often I'll get a prophetic dream of some sort. Well, that's a good way. I think that's a good start for a prophetic dream is to go to sleep, uh, feeling the presence of God, uh, of inviting his presence. Is, is that what? Tell me the words you say, not out loud, but you're saying in your heart to God when you're going to sleep. Oh, uh, it's, it's simple. I just tell him I love him. I, that's, that's all. It's, it's not, I, my heart is just overflowing with love for God. And I'm just, I'm being bathed by his love. I just, the only words I can muster up is that I love you. And that's, you know, that's that's the relationship. It's real simple, but it is, a, you know, it is effective. It, it affects me. It changes me. It changes how I think and live. You know, I, I started practicing. I don't know how else to learn and to practice. I started practicing this years ago. I would, I would go into a particular business that was a health food store, but it was the kind that was kind of cultic at the same time. And uh, but I, I love the people in there, and I would do business there. So I'd stop outside. Uh, you, you know something? I hate to say this, but <laughs> sometimes I find more love from these new agers than many Christians I know. <laughs> it's an awful statement. <laughs> that certainly can be true. I would stop outside the store and literally stand there for a moment till till I became aware of the Holy Spirit resting on me. Then I would go and do my business. I'd go buy whatever I was going to buy. Nothing would change in my actions, but I just became aware of him. And one day the owner took me aside. He said, Bill, something's different when you walk in. And it wasn't that I had a greater measure of the presence than another believer, but I might have been the only one that turned my affection towards him before I chose to do business in that store. And that's why I say being aware of the Holy Spirit really affects the atmosphere around us. Well, you talk about... Uh, you live with total awareness of an open heaven. Most people say, oh, God, give us an open heaven uh, like uh, Jacob had with the angels going up on this ladder and coming down. And uh, uh, But you, 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 your paradigm is much bigger than that. Explain. Um, when the Holy Spirit was released upon Jesus in Mark chapter 1 at his water baptism, 
it says the heavens parted. The word there is the same word used to describe the tearing of the veil in the temple and the breaking of the rocks around Jerusalem. In other words, it was a violent act. So when the Holy Spirit was released upon Jesus, it was because the heavens were ripped open. Well, that is the prayer of Isaiah in 64, verse 2. Rend the heavens, Lord, and come down. And so the Holy Spirit being released upon the church came because the heavens were torn open. And what Christians tend to do is we tend to become aware of the darkness around us, and we personalize it. Instead of living from the open heaven that exists over us, towards the problems around us. And we've, we've got to reverse what we're aware of. Instead of being so sin conscious and evil conscious, become aware of the presence of God upon us, the open heaven that every believer has, and live from that because it gives us the courage to serve well. It, it, um, you, you also talk about different measures and dimensions of his presence. And you talk about Isaiah 6-1, about his robe filling the temple. Explain. Right. Uh, the, the word there says, uh, I see the Lord, he's high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple. That word fills means that it, it filled it, but it's continuously filling. In other words, he's here, but there's more of him coming. And uh, I, think, um, I think the Lord would like to manifest himself upon us bigger than we have a grid for. You know, he really intentionally wants to manifest presence and glory to the degree that we can handle it and not take credit for it, not trying to manipulate or to use the glory for our personal gain or our notoriety or whatever. And uh, he, he entrusts himself to us, uh, interestingly. And so there are there are degrees and mentions, uh, measures of the presence. And I think it's just uh, it, like most things in the kingdom, you get increased by stewarding what you have well. Do you believe there's a greater, much greater increase for you than you have right now, Bill? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And But most of the people listening to us right now would like to have what you have. Well, it, you know, if they don't have it, I would want for them to have it. But I also, you know, I've also read history and read the scripture, and I see where there's there's standards of encounter and lifestyle that's so far greater than what I've ever experienced or had. And um, so I'm, I'm... Well, have you dreamt? Or, or had an inward thought of uh, what is going to be happening to you in the near future as far as uh, the miraculous? Well, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I certainly have. I, I think here's what my heart is after, is for the glory of the Lord to fill the earth. I want the glory of God, the manifested presence of Jesus, that wonderful spirit of Christ, to rest upon the land, upon the churches, the place where we meet. Uh, we've already had people encounter God just driving onto the property or walking into a building. Uh, we had a gal here in uh, Cleveland. She uh, had 35 epileptic seizures, up to 35 a day. And when she walked into the building, she was completely healed and set free from this that she had had since she was a, a few months old. She's a model in New York, 19 years old. And she walks into the building, and it leaves. I feel like there's this presence of God that becomes so manifest that no disease, no affliction can stand in it. In some occasions, he allows us to do to do the ministry. Other occasions, it's just the presence of God. 
we've had so many situations where people are just in the atmosphere of presence and they're just completely changed. Well, give me an example of where you have tangibly observed the presence of God changing, uh, not in your church building, but where you were. Um, well, it happens. Goodness, I, I I was shopping for a cell phone in a in a store once, and and uh, just looking at the phone, a lady behind me just falls just falls to the ground. She's laid out on the ground. It, it wasn't a, it wasn't a seizure. It wasn't anything. It was just the presence of the Lord that was was resting upon me was so strong that she just literally fell to the ground. And the salesman stood there dumbfounded. I stood there dumbfounded. Took me a moment to realize what was happening. I've seen joy break out spontaneously um, in a gas station, um, you know, just just from this presence of God. And I, I feel like he wants to affect the surroundings, sometimes in those kinds of ways. Sometimes it's just he just brings comfort to people that are so broken. Sometimes uh, there's the release of a miracle. We've seen people healed by just the shadow, just walking past them. The affliction leaves her body. I just I feel like there's so much more that God wants to make the norm that has become an occasional uh, experience. And, oh, well, Bill, on tomorrow's broadcast, I want you to pray, because I've seen what happens when you pray for people relying on the presence of God and the knowledge of, of conditions for people to be healed. All of life, Bill says, is reduced to one thing, how we steward the presence of God. Uh, would you elaborate a little on that statement you made? The, the presence of God actually flows from us into, into situations. I mean, that's how people are healed. Is that it's actually the anointing of the presence that is released to bring about a miracle. Jesus said, if I cast a demon out of you by the Spirit of God then uh, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he's describing the collision of two worlds, kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of light is contained in the presence of God. He said in Romans, uh, the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is in the presence. So whenever we minister, what we're actually doing is stewarding, stewarding a person. We have more than a message. We have a message that the person rides on. Jesus said, my words to you are spirit, and they are life. His words became spirit. And so Jesus is the word of God made flesh, but when he spoke, the word of God became spirit. When we minister, we are actually ministering presence. We are ministering a person, the Holy Spirit of God. And learning how to be aware of him, learning how to partner with him, learning how to share his heartbeat, his burden, his vision, his hopes, his dreams. That's the relationship that we have with the Spirit of God. And learning how to partner with him and responding to his direction, his nudging, his, uh, you know, his, his desire, that's what life and ministry is all about. And so it's a lifelong goal, it's a lifelong ambition for me, is just to learn to do that well. Uh, Bill, I can almost see a woman that's listening to us right now, and she's listened to my show before, and she knows that God demonstrates his kingdom by miracles. She knows nothing is impossible for God, but she's crying out in her heart of hearts, God, I've suffered for so long. What about me? What would you say to her? Sometimes 
our biggest breakthrough comes when we refuse to be impressed by the size of our problem. Turning our attention to the greatness of God, His promise, His presence, His significance, His heart, His compassion. Randy Clark said something years ago that really pricked my heart. He said, for us to beg God to heal someone is for us to assume we have more mercy than He does. This whole healing thing is His idea. He's the one who paid the price, not for an occasional healing, but for health, for divine health. So if we can approach God based on His absolute goodness, based on His covenant promise, based on what Jesus accomplished with us in mind, it just helps us. It helps us to not bring along the baggage of disappointment. Uh, disappointments uh, really cripple us as believers uh, in a way that's really, uh, really significant in its effect. And if we can learn to deal with those openly and honestly before the Lord and regain that place of hope and promise, we can face any situation knowing that God has solutions for us. I want you to teach what the Holy Spirit has you teach, uh, just for maybe five minutes, no more. And then I want you to pray as God directs you. Living aware of the Holy Spirit is, I, I try to learn to become aware of Him in my own personal life, not for ministry. I want ministry to be the overflow of the abundance of my walk with Jesus. And so I turn my affection towards him when there's nothing to be done. You know, there's no ministry occasion. I'm not going to preach. I'm not, I have no one to pray for. It's just because I love him. And learning to develop, cultivate that awareness of him in those moments um, really equips me and prepares me to operate with confidence and boldness when there's a crisis or a problem. So I, I teach people to live aware of the Holy Spirit for their own personal lives, just going through life, enjoying a meal, driving from work to home, um, spending time with the family, uh, just personal devotion time. Live conscious of him. David said he set the Lord constantly before him, which means he would constantly place the Lord in front of him. Now, that's, it sounds wrong, but it's what he said. He, he didn't have the authority to put God somewhere, but he did have the opportunity to become aware of where God was. And so he would put his attention on the presence of God right in front of him. And I wish more people would use their faith to discover God, the same faith they used to try to get a miracle. Um, discover the presence that is already here. He's already told me he'll never leave me. He's already told me he resides in me. He, we know that he lives all around us. And so if we could use that faith to explore his goodness, his greatness, his manifest presence, I think it changes everything for us. So that's where I start with people. I start with, here we are, a worshiping community. We're giving praise and honor to the Lord. His presence begins to minister to us deeply. Delight in that. Don't think about healing. Don't think about prophecy. Don't think about salvation or getting somebody delivered. Be the person that God likes to be with. To me, that's what the Lord meant when he said to Moses, Moses said, who am I? God said, I will be with you. In other words, Moses, who are you? You're the one I want to be with. You're the one I want to manifest on. And I feel like, I feel like we professionalize the presence of the Lord too much. I want a greater anointing just so I can see miracles. I want a greater learning just so I can see more people saved. Those are legitimate burdens, but it's not a good reason for a relationship. The relationship needs to be because of who he is because of his greatness, his place in our life, his call upon us, uh, the intimacy that he welcomes us into. 
So in my pursuit of the presence of the Lord, I, I work to live conscious of Him in a way that's greater than any problem. If I become more in, uh, influenced by the size of a problem than, am I, than I am by God's presence, then I will live in reaction to the problem. I will live in reaction to the devil, and the devil doesn't deserve that kind of attention, even though it's negative attention. He doesn't deserve the role of influencing my agenda. And so I work to live conscious of the Holy Spirit, and from that place, the great treasure house of heaven, the great heart of God for humanity, living from that place, makes me much more capable of not only serving well, but the thing that's maybe even sometimes humorous is we see more miracles happen now by accident than ever used to happen on purpose. Well, let's see miracles happen right now by accident, because I believe as you pray, the anointing is here. It's here for healing. Absolutely. We just I just pray right now, uh, Father, for that release of presence. You said our word, as we, as we speak your word, our word becomes spirit. So I pray now that the presence of the Spirit of God would be released into that esophageal cancer and that that thing would be dried up now. In fact, cases of cancer all around the country would be destroyed. Cancer would be destroyed by the presence and the power of the Lord. The radiation of another world would dry up that disease at its root. God, I pray for that thing of insanity that has tormented so many people, that bondage on the mind, the from bipolar to schizophrenia to these various kinds of brain disorders, that a spirit of deliverance and restoration would be released over people, that those with even learning disorders or problems with uh, injuries, uh, injuries to the brain, that you would release a restoration to people in the honor of the name Jesus. Lord, where people have been carried affliction, trauma, uh, because of accidents that happened 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, Holy Spirit, I invite you, come with power. Rest upon people. Reset bones. Let cysts and tumors dissolve. Let the abnormalities be corrected. God, we do pray on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for the perfect function in order of your world to invade and affect this one. I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. That individual with the crossed eyes, it's so embarrassing to them. Lord, I ask now that you'd reset the eyes, put them on track in Jesus' wonderful name. Let deafness be destroyed. That loss of hearing uh, from accidents on the job, we just declare it ends today in Jesus' mighty name. I pray for just random miracles of healing that come out of the hope that comes to people's hearts because they discover your goodness. Let it spread. Let it be like a holy virus that just becomes contagious. The goodness of God corrects the abnormalities that people have carried in their lives and their bodies for so many years. We pray all of this, that Jesus would be held in highest honor and that the glory of the Lord would fill the earth. I pray this. I pray this in Jesus' name. I want you to be able to do everything Bill can do and even go to a higher level, which is his heart's desire and my heart's desire. I want Bill to mentor you and prepare you to encounter God like never before. Bill says all of life is reduced to one thing how we steward the presence of God. And he's put together an entire course. It's a workbook. It's two DVDs with eight sessions. It's a textbook. 
called Hosting the Presence, Unveiling Heaven's Agenda. If you were to buy the entire kit, it would cost you $99, but we're making it available for a gift of $59. Do it for yourself. Do it for your small groups. Do it for your congregations. Just do it. Host the presence of God. And be quite candid with you, no matter what happens, a thousand may die at your left hand, 10,000 at your right. But I'll tell you, with the presence of God, it's not going to come near you. We're making this available called Hosting the Presence of God for a gift of $59. This is the Shabbat broadcast. Let me pray over you. The Lord is blessing you right now. The Lord is keeping you right now. The Lord is smiling upon you right now. The Lord is surrounding you with his favor right now. The Lord is gifting you right now in the name that is above every disease, above every problem, above every hurt. Yeshua HaMashiach Tzikenu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.com. Org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.